Today's show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash everything sounds. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash everything sounds. Ignition sequence start. Everything. Everything. Sounds. Sounds. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shea. Wait, wait. Before we get into that, I want to let everyone know that you're not just a pretty voice, Craig. You're also pretty badass on the drums. I'm all right. I, I haven't played in a few years, but that's not what matters today. That's not what we're talking about. What matters is where I was playing. And he was actually playing in a museum. Not just any museum, one where you're encouraged to take part in the installations. Okay, we need to take care of something. You just interrupted me a minute ago. <laughs> okay, you're right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shank. And I'm George Drake Jr. Now that we've taken care of that, Matt is going to be our museum guide today. My name is Matthew Altizer, and I am the Marketing and Communications Director for the Rhythm Discovery Center and the Percussive Arts Society. The Rhythm Discovery Center is in downtown Indianapolis. It's literally right near the middle of the city, underneath the Arts Garden, attached to the Circle Center Mall. It's fairly new to the city. The Percussive Arts Society, which runs the museum, moved to Indianapolis from Oklahoma in 2007 and opened the museum in 2009. And at that time, we decided instead of having a standard museum, we really wanted something that we could give back to the community, have it very interactive, and, and really make it a destination point for families and adults of all ages. So we uh, decided to go this route as a, of a very interactive museum with Rhythm Discovery Center. It's an interactive percussion museum, so it's important to note what they actually consider to be a percussion instrument. To keep it simple, it's essentially any instrument that can be struck or scraped. Like bells, drums, tambourines, marimbas, cymbals, and pianos. Now, the piano does seem out of place, but it really isn't. They're kind of a hybrid between string and percussion instruments. They make a sound by pressing a key, which causes a hammer to strike a string. So technically, they're not string instruments, they're percussion instruments. That's right, they're struck, not plucked or strummed. But still, the piano is the one that they needed to exclude from their collection. We've always kind of steered away from the piano. There's other organizations that deal with pianos. And, you know, I mean, if we, if we were to do something for the piano, it would probably take over the entire museum. So, you know, we, we stick more to the drumming and, you know, mallet instruments. In the museum, you can learn about percussion while playing actual percussion instruments. It's great for kids, adults, musicians, and of course, people with no musical background whatsoever. Or even people like Matt, who play non-percussion instruments. He's actually a trained classical saxophonist. The Rhythm Discovery Center prides itself on being an extremely interactive museum. All around you are different instruments from all over the world and installations to take part in. You follow this red carpet around the space, finding exhibits featuring ancient and modern instruments, and you're free to touch anything that doesn't sit behind glass or have a sign saying otherwise. Now, we heard Craig on the drums earlier, but the museum is about percussion, not just about drums. So we've chosen some aspects of the museum to highlight. So let's take a tour. 
You start your visit in what they call the time tunnel. It gives you a glimpse at the evolution and basic building blocks of percussion instruments. Three basic sound principles for percussionists. We create sound through wood, metal, and skin. To demonstrate the use of wood, you use mallets to hit a log drum on the wall. To see vibrations that skins can make, you hit an eight-foot-tall gong drum. And to understand metal's role in percussion, you can whack the tam-tam. Some people in our part of the world call it a Chinese gong, bullseye gong, or just simply a gong. But before we get too carried away with gongs and gonging, we'll- Wait, wait, gonging? Yeah, it makes sense. You can't deny that. I'm standing by it. You drum on a drum, so you have to gong in a gong. So would I marim on a marimba? I'm assuming so. I also assume you xyle on a xylophone. You know, I'm an avid air xyler. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? It means I air xyle. <laughs> <laughs> Great explanation. Okay. Let's, let's just start with wood. We have three different playing stations that allow them to uh, figure out what that wood sound is or what that metal sound is or the skin sound. So we introduce them to the basic log drum and then they're allowed to as well play that log drum and make their own music. So it's a good way to, to understand why wood is used, what's so important about wood. The time tunnel leads into the instrument origins section. You get to see percussion instruments throughout the world in the way that they use wood, metal, and skin. Now try to imagine a rack of five different drums, all that you'd find in a regular drum kit. And they're placed in front of a wall that's completely covered with small hanging metal circles. They call it the shimmer wall. That actually shows the sound waves moving through the air when you hit a drum. And it lets you see the physical aspect of sound. So as you, as you hit the, one of the drums, you know, the, the sound wall has uh, five bass drums set up with this uh, shimmer wall behind it, and you hit a bass drum, and then you can actually see the sound wave hit that shimmer wall and make the shimmer wall obviously shimmer. And the way those metal circles move kind of looks like sunlight reflecting off of the waves in the ocean. And if you blink, you miss it. It only lasts for a second or two. And it's great to see kids and adults come and, and play on this. We actually had a uh, marching band come and tour through the museum, and the, the bass drum line from the marching band actually played their entire show on these five bass drums. It was really fun to see all of the, the air puffs, you know, or the, the sound waves hitting that shimmer wall uh, through their performance. Next to the shimmer wall, you see an enormous glass wall in front of what looks like hundreds of instruments sitting on shelves in the floor. It's the archive of the Percussive Art Society and the Rhythm Discovery Center. Many museums keep their archives completely hidden from the public, but their collection's a bit different. It's on full display, even if those particular items aren't being exhibited. The archive has unique pieces from all over the world, including some famous drum sets. We have some amazing pieces in here, such as uh, Gene Krupa's drum set, uh, Louis Belson drum set, um, Buddy Rich drum set. We have a victory drum set from World War II. During World War II, um, metal was very scarce, obviously, and so drum sets and drums were actually made mostly of wood with very little metal. So we have a World War II drum, victory drum set, as they were called, that's all wood, very little metal on it. It's in beautiful condition. It's, it's really kind of fun to look at. And yeah, they want people to see them. That's why they put them behind glass. But they don't always just stay back there. We'll bring some out every once in a while and, and create a, a temporary exhibit within our plaza. But uh, 
you know, this is just a great way to, to kind of search through what we have and, and see all the different instruments from various cultures that have been used in percussion. If you follow the archive and the glass wall to the end, you'll run into some small black steps. They lead up to the eight-foot-tall tubular bells. And beside those bells is another station, where you can hear why metal is sometimes more useful in percussion instruments than other materials. It has a certain resonance that, that really helps it. I mean, if you hit rubber, there's nothing really there. If you hit marble, again, there's nothing really there. But with metal, you get that long ring. So that's really why, why metal has been used for a long, long time within music and also, you know, uh, conversations and war and everything like that. When you're finished playing the chimes, you walk past an interactive area and music practice rooms filled with instruments, and you see a giant wind chime in front of a yellow wall. And although they sound similar, the wind chimes aren't the same as the bells you heard earlier. Right, the first set, they're tubular bells, vertical metal tubes that you hit with a hammer. The giant wind chime is quite literally a giant wind chime. But the term wind chime is being used pretty loosely here. The thing is literally taller than a basketball hoop. And Indianapolis doesn't usually get strong gales, let alone ones that are strong enough to move a giant wind chime. And besides, the wind chime is indoors. You need to move it by yourself. basic wind chimes that, uh, that you would hear at someone's house, except for they're, you know, what, 10, 12 feet tall, I guess, something like that. It just helps to showcase that items of all sizes and shapes can be used as percussion instruments. I mean, this is one of the nice, one of the great things about percussion. I mean, all music is great and all musical instruments are great, but this is something that you really couldn't do with a saxophone museum or with a violin museum. I mean, you know, I'm a saxophonist. It would be great to go to a saxophone museum, but kids aren't going to be able to really experience it. With the percussion, you know, percussionists use day-to-day day -day objects that you wouldn't think would be a musical instrument to create music. And so it's exciting to see that and really see, let the kids understand that, you know, anything can be a percussion instrument ultimately. Even melted space stuff. Or meteorites, to be exact. Nah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> Tomato, tomato? Either way. Anyway, an eccentric musician, composer, inventor, and all-around creative guy named Claire Omar Musser had his own exhibit when we visited the museum. They have some of his one-of-a-kind mallet instruments and creations on display. And the most impressive piece is his celestophone. He collected over 1,300 pounds of meteorites over four decades and took around half of that collection to create what is basically a space xylophone. So the bars in the frame are all space rock. It's the only one ever created in the world, and we're lucky enough to have it here at our museum housed as part of the archives. So it's just amazing to think that, you know, 600 and it says 678 pounds of meteorite material were melted down to build this one instrument. While it took almost 700 pounds of meteorites to create, it only weighs about 80 pounds. But consider this, the instrument is made of material that was literally from out of this world. It's just amazing to look at and think that, you know, this is material that was floating around outside of Earth. One important thing that the Rhythm Discovery Center tries to reinforce is that anything is percussive, like the guys who play the buckets in the street, baseball cards in a bike tire, 
or even a stick along a chain link fence. Even though it's not an instrument, it still is percussive. Anyone can be a percussionist when the entire world becomes an instrument. The Rhythm Discovery Center teaches people to explore their own curiosity in a welcoming space so that they can begin to appreciate the music that exists in their everyday lives. You have the, the young kids at home, you know, banging on the pots and pans, driving their parents crazy. They're doing the same thing that a percussionist does, you know, not with the training, obviously, and, you know, at a lower level, but it's still the same concept. Find out more about the Rhythm Discovery Center and the Percussive Arts Society at our website, everythingsounds.org. There you can also see pictures of the museum, listen to our previous episodes, and learn about how you can support the show. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and SoundCloud. Again, all of those links are at everythingsounds.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Craig Shank. I'm George Drake Jr. This is Everything Sounds. This has been Everything Sounds. Find out more about the podcast at everythingsounds.org. Connect with Everything Sounds on Facebook and also on Twitter.